Good morning, everyone. This is NPR News, and I'm Angela Davis. So glad to have you join us today. During our member drives, you get to hear many of my colleagues step up to the microphone to tell you about the work we do here at NPR News and the reasons why our service is worthy of your financial support. What I like to do is take you behind the scenes. I enjoy introducing you to my colleagues and letting you get to know them better. So today, you're going to meet three of our newscasters. NPR News broadcasts 24 local newscasts every weekday. 24! Now, you've heard the newscasters on our show, bringing you the news updates at the beginning and in the middle of our show for a few minutes at a time. Well, now you're going to hear them talk about their careers in journalism and what they do when they're not updating us on the news. First, here's John Wanamaker. Now, John has been a newscaster here at NPR for 12 years since uh, 2010. And before that, he was a reporter and a newscaster at WCCO Radio. Good morning, John. Good morning, Angela. Well, I think the one thing that a lot of people may not know about you is that you were in the Army. I was. Tell me about your decision to join the military. I was a fresh-faced 17-year-old when I enlisted. I realized that I did not want to go to college. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I signed up for the Army, and actually, originally, I signed up to be a broadcast journalist. Wow. Believe it or not, that is a job. That is an MOS, as they say in the Army. And I got down to my in-processing down in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and I told it, and they said, what is your MOS? And I said, broadcast journalist. And they said, where's your audition tape? And I froze, because my recruiter never told me about an audition tape. So they slid a list of, a piece of paper across to me with a list of uh, jobs that they needed to fill, and I said, can I do this? And they said, no. Can I do this? They said, no. <laughs> and finally, I said, can I be a medic? And they said, yes. And so that's how I became a medic for wow. four years. Wow. And so do you think that experience has helped you in journalism through the years? Oh, definitely. I think one of the best things about uh, being in the military is lear- learning organization, mm-hmm. which I definitely needed at that time in my life. I needed mm-hmm. to become more organized in the time management and, uh, and first and foremost, not taking things personally. Right, right. Which is a big deal. Because mm-hmm. when you're young, you take a lot of things personally, but then you realize once you're in an organization like the military, you can't take things personally. Right. That it's, is professional. Right. It's not about you. It's no. about like the mission. It's about and the, the mission and the team. So let's talk about uh, journalism. How did you make the transition into radio then? What happened? Well, as a medic, then I thought, okay, I'm going to follow kind of uh, in the family business in a way of speaking and went to college to be uh, to, as pre-med. So I started out pre-med and then realized that that's not where my heart was and uh, switched to journalism about uh, junior year of college and then I got my degree in journalism. But I was a print major. I was not a broadcast journalist (laughs) at all. I had no intention. I wanted to work for a newspaper. I had no intent Mm -hmm. uh, to get into broadcast journalism at all, and I didn't for a, a few years until I moved back to Madison, Wisconsin, and didn't really have a job. And then I found a part-time job with a, uh, a trade publication, Print. And then I found out my sister said, well, this station across town is looking for an afternoon news traffic and weather person. And, and I gave them a tape. 
rest is history. So tell me about this. I, now, I remember when I was a, a local television news reporter, I would I would run into you on assignments. I would yeah. see you at events. Um, and you were a uh, radio reporter at WCCO Radio. And I just remember like, that's a really tall, <laughs> redheaded you'd guy. Never, you'd never know. With a great voice. Yeah. But uh, what did you enjoy about being out on um, I, the streets and interviewing people as a reporter? It was great. Well, like you, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I love talking to different people. People mm-hmm. all the time. And so it was something different almost every day. And I got to meet everyone from presidential candidates, mm-hmm. you know, John Kerry, uh, Ron Paul, all these different uh, people who came through town, but then just average everyday people talking about them, talking to them about events that were going on, what happened here. And it was funny because the when I interned, I interned at a television station when I was in college and I didn't, I thought I would be getting coffee for people the first day. Well, they said, no, <laughs> a car has hit a house. Go there and get, get some information. You do some interviews. And so I was so nervous. And the photographer who was with, you know, photographers, they're mm-hmm. great. Mm-hmm. They're the steadying influence in, in all us. news mm-hmm. and TV news. And he goes, he was kind of joking, but he was serious too. He said, when all else fails, just point a, mo- a microphone at somebody and say, what's happening here and why? Mm-hmm. And I thought that's funny, but it, it's also good advice. Right. That's how, how you get the conversation started. Yeah. Now, I know that one of the big stories you covered was the collapse of the 35W uh, bridge. Yeah. Um, and that was before you came to Minnesota Public Radio. What do you remember about um, just weeks and of covering that in the early days of, of that? Well, I'll take you back to the day because it was uh, interesting uh, in the fact that uh, we were we have the, had the scanner on at all times in the mm-hmm. newsroom, and all of a sudden we hear this call that the Washington Avenue Bridge had partially collapsed, and we said Washington Avenue. And when they said that, I, I did not know, but that is what they officially referred to the 35W Bridge as, and that's oh. why a lot of people were confused at first. Uh, and uh, what happened is, I we were in downtown Minneapolis, and I. My editor said, go, and I ran across the street, jumped into a vehicle, and got in behind a fire truck going down Washington. And we're running red lights and everything, and we got down there. It wasn't that far. And I started walking down West River Parkway toward the bridge, and they were just unloading the kids. I don't, you remember the scene? School bus. The school bus, right? yeah. The ki- they were just unloading them, and they were running up, uh, obviously very upset, up West River Parkway. And uh, as I was coming around the trees along the river, along the parkway, I saw the first section. I did not know the full extent, and I was reporting live on my Mm -hmm. cell phone. And I listened back to it not too long ago. Not my best work, but I was having You were being human. You were having a human reaction. I was was having so much difficulty processing what I was seeing because the entire bridge was down, and there Mm -hmm. were people down in the river at the time, and it was just very hard for me to process it and speak about it at the same time. But um, you, you may have had these experiences mm-hmm. in the past. And so think of, as I think about your work as a newscaster, you're often the first person that someone's going to hear either good news or very bad news. Um, so what are, you, what are you thinking about when you have to go on to do a news update and say, hey, folks, this just happened or we're just learning? Sometimes we are waiting for it and we uh, get confirmation. We have to deliver it so we have... Um, Mm-hmm. A little bit of advanced warning, but sometimes it comes on us very quickly, mm-hmm. and then we deliver it very quickly. Uh, and I guess just assuming the correct tone when you're reporting mm-hmm. bad news or good news um, is uh, is important. And uh, you know, being prepared to deliver 
bad news. How do you craft a newscast? Because there are are several stories in a newscast, and you get to pick and choose and decide and and all of that. How do you do that? As newscasters, we uh, stack the casts up uh, ourselves. Our editors place the stories in kind of in order of relevance. We have top news, and then we have other news in there. So we try to get the top story in at the lead, and then we get other stories there, and we kind of stack them in a way that – you know, to get a little bit of variety in the newscast, but also keep people um, uh, up to date on the most pressing stories of the day. And, you know, today, I mean, uh, uh, you know, depending on what story it is, we'll 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 take that story and put it in the lead. And uh, it's funny because people don't realize where we are physically when we're doing our jobs. It, it's a little bit isolating in that You're we're in a very small booth. We're in booth. a very, very small <laughs> booth. So yeah. small. Why? It, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> they were saving space and they put us, they, well, they put us in between the two big studios. So in between you and Kathy and everything. So they have a line of sight. We can mm-hmm. all see the engineers and the producers in their studios. But uh, you know, we're back there uh, kind of trying to bring in all the information, but we're also very isolated in a small mm-hmm. studio. I think people think that we're out there circulating the newsroom, but we are not. We depend definitely on our editors and our reporters to keep us up to date. And you have lots of great technical skills. You can do all kinds of things I cannot do. So uh, tell us about some of the your role as a, t- uh, like a technical director as well and running the board. Yeah, I think people don't realize this. For a good part of the day, the newscasters are running the entire operation. The entire statewide service is operating out of our little tiny studio. And we are running the board and um, obviously um, filling the continuity breaks with the latest news and and announcements and weather and doing the newscast. So I always tell people it is a little bit like uh, riding a bike and juggling. Once you get the hang of it, it's it's easy. But for the people who haven't done it before, who we train in to do it, it's, it's pretty intimidating. You see them. Mm-hmm. Get pretty nervous. And on your um, on your days off, what do you do to take your mind uh, off of the news updates? Are you able to just completely separate from it and just you know and just be? It is an it is a, a nice occupation for those of us who may have been <laughs> diagnosed with ADD in the past, mm-hmm. uh, myself included. In that, uh, you can kind of leave it alone. It, it, I'm not. Like you, I'm not, uh, I'm unlike you, I'm not prepping for a show the next day or thinking what I'm going to do in the next week. So what I, yeah, I do try to unplug mm-hmm. because oftentimes, I mean, I'm, I'm really marinating in the news of the day, so to speak. And it's sometimes difficult. You need a break, right? You do need a break. You need a break. Well, you know, in this business, you need a break sometimes mm-hmm. because it to, gets to be too much. To refuel, to re-energize, to refocus. And I just have to, I think you have one of my uh, favorite voices <laughs> just in just in broadcast period. I think you have a, a wonderful voice. You can thank my mother. Yes. Well, what, why? Like, what, what did she do? Did she encourage she was you? A, well, my mom was a singer. And uh, she uh, had, for a woman, she sang alto, but she was, as a child, was in a barbershop quartet with her siblings and actually sang the lower lower parts uh, than her older brother. She sang (laughs) because she could sing lower than her older brother back before his voice changed. So she, I always credit her. That's with, beautiful. Yeah. So was there an age, like when you maybe 12, 13, where your voice started to change? I was talking to Phil Picardi about this, and I was in <laughs> high school, and I was in chorus, actually. And uh, I started out the year being able to sing certain parts, and then all of a sudden realized I was really straining. And my teacher, my the chorus director, uh, also recognized that and said, hey, come here, sing these notes. 
and he, I sang these notes, and he goes, you move over to the basses. You, you're not singing right. that the, in that section anymore. And do you sing now for fun or just? No, only in the shower. Only- <laughs> yeah. And just one more question. How tall are you? Uh, I'm shrinking, but I topped out at 6'8", and probably have shrunk down to under 6'7 now. Wow. All right. From I, slouching. I just wanted people to know that because you are, have such a presence. Uh, great joy, great wisdom as well. Uh, John Wanamaker, thank you for agreeing to let me talk with you. You're to welcome. interview you. One of our many great newscasters here at NPR News. And next, you will hear my conversation with newscaster Phil Picardi. Today, I am giving you the chance to get to know our newscasters here at NPR News a little bit better. I interviewed three of them. Now, earlier, you heard my conversation with John Wanamaker. Now, let's hear from Phil Picardi. You hear Phil Picardi on the air almost every morning with me. And if you are up early and listening to Morning Edition, you also hear his news updates when Kathy Werzer is hosting. Phil has been a newscaster here at NPR News for 21 years. Hi, Phil. Hi, Angela. How are you? How does it feel to be sitting in the hot seat being interviewed? (laughs) It doesn't feel very comfortable at all. I'm not used to being on this microphone. I know, but I just, I love everything about you. I love talking with you. And I love that I'm getting a chance to um, let our listeners get to know you a little bit better. Let's start with these hours, these right. early morning hours. Oh, yeah. What time do you get here? About uh, 4.45. Uh, the first newscast is at 6.04. Mm-hmm. Uh, before that, I have to put together some what we call the weather zones. I record the weather zones. It's um, different parts of the state that hear uh, mm-hmm. During what we call our district breaks, they hear local information. They also hear the local weather forecast. So I do that. And I also write the banner, which is the uh, the call <gasps> around the building. That's a lot of pressure. It is. Because if you have a typo, you do hear about it yeah. quite quickly. Quickly. Oh, man, I didn't even know that. <laughs> yeah. And also I do what uh, we have as our sports notes uh, sort of uh, item that any newscaster or host can pick off of if they want some information about what's going on in sports. And the reason I do that is because I used to really follow sports. I still do. And nobody else really does that much. So I guess Here, right. I might know a little bit more than a lot of other people. So that's why. Okay. That, and are you a naturally a morning person? No. Um, just get used to it. You know, I take a nap when I get home in the afternoon and I have to do that. Mm-hmm. And I have to do it by a certain time so I can go to bed at a certain time in the evening so I can get up at a certain time the next day. But uh, I like to say that I'm one of the few people in America that has an alarm that I wake up to twice a day. And one more question about early morning hours. Uh, what helps you sound relaxed and confident when you're on the air? Uh, do you in, in, envision something or is there something that helps you stay focused that you really can get in that, that persona of being, I'm, an, I'm a newscaster? Well, believe it or not, I think a lot of people actually in radio are kind of introverted and, mm-hmm. and, and I am one of them. And um, being closed up in a little studio by myself helps a lot. If I had to actually look out at faces, uh, it might be more difficult. But I think as far as sounding relaxed goes, a lot of it just has to do with experience. I've been doing radio since 1985, 85. So uh, it does help you to feel, if you've done it 10,000 times, you feel like you can do it. So So let's go back to uh, 1985. Uh, You started working in public radio in that year. And at that time, you were still in college in St. Louis. Yes, St. Louis, Missouri, where I grew up. Uh, I went to the University of Missouri, St. Louis, uh, and I was in a class, a journalism class, and a friend of mine from high school was in that class, and he said, hey, come down to the radio station. We have a radio station. You could be a part of the student staff. 
And I, I had no idea. And it was uh, KWMU. It was the big public radio station in St. Louis, still is. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, 50,000 watts and all that good stuff. And they were doing a sports show on the weekend called Sports Spectrum. And so Frank, uh, the friend of mine, put me on the air right away the following weekend. And uh, I remember still what I did. He wanted me to do a, an American League baseball season preview. Uh, so I had to do some research about the teams and because, and you know, St. Louis is a, a National League city with mm-hmm. the Cardinals. Uh, so I did this American League preview and there it was. I was on the radio uh, that weekend. So tell me about being a baseball fan. Uh, did you grow up listening to baseball on the radio or is this something that family members introduced you to? I would say that baseball is the reason that I'm in radio because oh. um, my mother used to listen to Camel X, the big St. Louis um, Clear Channel Station, and they had all the Cardinal games. And she loved listening to Jack Buck do the Cardinal games. And she would, it, it was summertime in the evening, that was the soundtrack at the house. She always had it on, outside, inside. And, uh, you know, just listening to that myself and and, and gaining a, an appreciation for what they do, especially in baseball, mm-hmm. because there's not a lot of action, you know. So they're they're companions. They just... They sit there and they talk with you and you're interested and they make you laugh. And I thought, wow, if you can do that. Was she thrilled when she discovered that this was going to be a profession for you? She was. Mm -hmm. Um, I worked in radio at KWMU for a while. I got hired to do uh, as a reporter. And uh, then I left to go to TV. I went to, (gasps) yes, KSDK in St. Louis. You worked on the dark side? (laughs) I didn't know that. (laughs) She was thrilled about that. Thrilled about that. It was the NBC affiliate. And uh, I had done sports producing there. And after uh, just a few months, I decided that radio was the way to go. And I didn't want to do TV anymore. And she was a little heartbroken about that. Oh, well, I, we're so many of us are so happy that you did. And let's talk about that. We don't have pictures and video on the radio. We have that on our website. But I think that just that, that human voice, the connection and the way that you can just take in information and even sometimes use your imagination. I think it's really beautiful and powerful. Yeah. And is that how you view radio compared to some other ways that we can get information? I do. Um, you know, Kathy Wurzer during fun drives always says, here I am with you in your car sitting next to you. Oh, wow. Personal. Very personal. Yes. Yeah. And people people are taking a shower and listening to you. You know, (laughs) they're jogging around the lake and they're listening to you and Mm -hmm. it's just you. So it is a very uh, personal medium. I find I talk back to you when you do a news update. I'm like, oh, Phil, no. (laughs) What? Oh, my gosh. Really? (laughs) Just so you know. <laughs> okay, and now I'll think <laughs> of that tomorrow. Next time, you know, next time I'm doing a newscast. All right, so let's uh, hear some more stories about your past. Um, you worked in my home state of Virginia, yes. uh, and also in Green Bay, Wisconsin, uh, Madison. You came to NPR in 2001. Started working as a newscaster. What was going on in 2001 uh, when you were then working nights and weekends? Well, uh, the uh, when I started in in St. Louis, then I went to Virginia, the Shenandoah Valley, and then. I started to think when we started to have a family, it would be nice to be closer to home. You and your wife? Me and my wife. Mm-hmm. And um, my family, of course, is in St. Louis. Her family is in Minnesota. Uh, she was born and raised in West St. Paul. So it was like, someday I got to get her to Minnesota. Although she always said, that's okay. We don't need to do that. <laughs> uh, so the goal was to get closer to home. So from Virginia, we went to Green Bay, which was, you know, just a five-hour drive from the Twin Cities. And then I went to Madison, four-hour drive. And then eventually the job came open here. I actually uh, interviewed for the job that uh, Kathy Werzer now has when she got that job. 
And uh, I came into St. Paul and I interviewed with uh, the news director at the, that time, Bill Busenberg, and I didn't get the job. But but here I am, you know, persistence pays. Yes, it does. And so when I think of 2001, and you've told this to me before, you started just a few months before 9-11 happened. Yes. What do you remember about being in the NPR newsroom uh, that day? It was, it still is, uh, the most amazing thing that ever happened mm-hmm. in the newsroom when I've been around. Um, it just, it's just the top 10 categories of all the big news stories. It's all 10 of those 10 categories. Mm-hmm. Um, I was not working that day. I had a day off. Um, and my son was going to grade school at the time and I had just put him on the school bus mm-hmm. and the bus driver said to me, Hey, did you hear about that the building in New York city that got hit by an airplane? And I said, no, I hadn't. And so I went home and turned on the TV and lo and behold, and uh, I called Mike Mulcahy, who is still still here as our political editor. He was mm-hmm. my supervisor at the time and said, do you need me? All hands on deck. And he said, I'll get back with you. He called back a little later and he said, can you work overnight? Mm-hmm. And I said, yes. And you, the, the feeling was back then, Angela, that everybody who was in the newsroom wanted to do something. Yes. And so working was what we could do. And uh, so I came in and I did the overnight shift. And our reporters were working all night long, filing story after story after story from, you know, local sources with angles on what was going on in New York and Washington, D.C. and Shanksville, Pennsylvania. And uh, we were carrying NPR's live coverage through the night. And we had I had two breaks each hour that were a minute and a half, two minutes long each. And so I was just plugging in local stories every time they had that break. Mm -hmm. And uh, the feeling of sadness and, I mean, it just didn't Mm -hmm. go, it still doesn't go away. If you Mm -hmm. see the highlights today, you know, Mm -hmm. it still doesn't go away. Another big story, which I I think the the news broke during the morning hours, uh, the overdose death of Prince in 2016. Were you on the air working when that happened? I was off of the air by that time, but I was here. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember the the pall in the newsroom. I mean, everybody gathered. There was a a big meeting around what we call the hub, Mm -hmm. uh, talking about where we were going to go from here. And one of my friends, one of my buddies who used to work here at that time, uh, was just devastated by that. Tony Randolph, she mm-hmm. and I had talked about Minnesota. She was from Buffalo, New York. And uh, before Prince died, well before Prince died, she mentioned she came to Minnesota because she loved Prince. And if it was good enough for him, it was good enough for her. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like something Tony would say. <laughs> <laughs> and and I remember the devastation on her face and the faces of everyone who was in the newsroom. And uh, it was just a huge story for a long time. And let's talk about what we're still living through right now, although things have gotten so much better, how the pandemic changed uh, us all. How did it change the way you worked and uh, and how you delivered newscasts at the height of the pandemic? That was just a, a brand new thing. You know, we all kind of figured it's going to come someday, uh, but maybe not. And it finally did. And, uh, you know, everybody was working from home and they sent me home with a kind of a home studio. Um, were you in a closet or an extra bedroom? Where it, was were you just, working? it was a couple of laptops and a little radio board and one of these microphones. And uh, uh, Corey Shreppel at the time, who was working here, mm-hmm. uh, came to my house and set it up in my basement. And uh, One of our engineers. One of our engineers. And I did three weeks of live broadcasting, live newscasting from that studio in my basement, which was then in Andover, Minnesota, where I lived at the time. 
And I was I was wondered if the neighbors knew that we were having this live broadcast right. from their neighborhood. Uh, you know. Were they making noise? Because I know sometimes that was an issue. People were making <laughs> neighbors were making noise. It was pretty well early in the morning like that. You know, it's right. not so bad. Uh, maybe a trash can, a trash truck would go by every now and then, but mm-hmm. um, a school bus. But uh, it, it wasn't that bad of a deal. So it was it was a strange time, and it was really hard to do it from home because there are so many balls you have to have in the air. You're juggling with both of your hands, and uh, eventually I decided that it was easier to come in and do it and sort of risk it. And right. uh, me and the whole news team really did do – the newscast team did, Came in. did come in mm-hmm. and do our shifts from, from in the studio. All right, last question. What do you enjoy most about being a – Newscaster here at NPR News. I get to see Angela Davis every day. You chose the right (laughs) answer. I knew you were smart. All right. Thank you so much, uh, Phil Picardi. You're welcome. Thank uh, you. And a rare interview sharing your personal story. I so appreciate it. Again, Phil's been a newscaster here at NPR News for 21 years. Today, I am giving you the chance to get to know our newscasters here at NPR News a little bit better. I interviewed three of them, and earlier you may have heard my conversation with newscasters Phil Picardi and John Wanamaker. Now, let's hear from Perry Finelli. Perry has worked at NPR News for 37 years. Yes, I said 37 years. He currently holds down the late afternoon and evening shift, and you can hear him giving news updates during All Things Considered with Tom Cran up until nine at night. Perry, thank you for sitting down with me. Thanks for having me in. Great to be here. This is so cool. I often see you here uh, sometimes when I'm here late, kind of by yourself. (laughs) You're one of those shadows. Yeah. yeah. You're often here kind of like by yourself. Do you like that? Uh, No. <laughs> no, uh, it took some getting used to. You know, mm-hmm. in fact, I worked early mornings for a long time before it shifted to evening, so that was mm-hmm. a complete turnaround. Mm-hmm. But um, no, I like to work with people. I, uh, you know, and most of the time I am working with an editor. Yeah, but uh, there's a little bit of a time there where I'm by myself. I shut off the lights on my way out. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> it's all right. So, how did you get into radio? Well, it's interesting. Uh, I grew up in Princeton, little town about an hour north of here. Mm-hmm. My dad was a teacher by trade. They started a radio station. I was a, probably middle school, somewhere in there. And he became the sports director. And so I would go to the radio station with him, and I was, I was just enthralled by what I saw, the turntables, the disc jockeys were sitting there. Mm-hmm. Just the whole, the, the old AP ticker I would go. And I just was enthralled. So through that connection, I'll be honest, I got a part-time job uh, in high school. Mm-hmm. And so I did all the shifts. And, and so I learned radio really on the fly. You know, So um, I went to St. Cloud State, great mass comm department, to get the formal broadcast and they radio still have and TV a, a degree. Really good they really do. Major. It's, it's mm-hmm. even much better than when I was, when I was there. But uh, I got the degree, and actually I went. I got a TV job out of college. Hold up, hold up, hold up. This is new to me. You yes. also worked in TV news, yes. as I did, yes. as, as I call it, the dark side. The dark side. <laughs> it is the dark side. It was um, in Mason City, Iowa, um, for three and a half years. I did editing, reporting, anchoring, the whole thing. And uh, it was great. I got married somewhere in there, and <laughs> we were just talking and just, you know, we had talked about, you know, we this is good, but ah, what's the next step? My mother-in-law saw a little classified ad in the St. Cloud Times. It said, looking for a reporter-producer at Minnesota Public Radio in the Collegeville Bureau. This is radio. Mm -hmm. I really knew nothing about Minnesota Public Radio. I I had heard of it. I knew it had a good reputation. Um, Applied for it. 
got the job, worked in Collegeville for three and a half years, and then came here. So Collegeville is about three and a half of that 37 years. And then in 1989, I came here and newscast, and then I told you just pretty much have done everything since. Right. So you're very much like a historian for, Kinda, for NPR. Yeah. My dad was a history teacher, so I suppose there's something to that. But yeah, I've, I've, yeah I know where all the skeletons are buried. <laughs> <laughs> no. So let's talk about, I, I've talked a little bit about uh, just my journey from you know transitioning from TV news into radio. Uh, the Just the power of the human voice and audio storytelling. What do you like about uh, having, you know, hearing stories or sharing news uh, with a voice rather than reading something in the paper or, you know, studying or looking at video. How is it different? People have asked, like, well, when do you think about your audience? You know, what do you think about? And, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times you can sit here and you know and you're, you're talking to a studio and to a microphone and it can feel like you're just, you know, you're talking right. to that. But, the, but then you hear from people and they say, oh, I heard you and I, I listened. And I and when you put a, put a connection to a face and someone says, you can just tell that they are – they like what they hear and they learn things. There's just that connection. So I think it's pretty much the, uh, the individual interaction I've, I've had with other people. You feel like you're in conversation. I envision yeah. someone having, I'm on at nine in the morning. I envision someone having like a morning cup of coffee or tea in the kitchen. Yeah, that's, yeah, perfect. <laughs> Absolutely perfect. Right? Yeah. Um, well, earlier we heard um, newscaster Phil Picardi uh, talking about his experience during September 11th. Uh, and, and he referenced you. Uh, you were on the air that morning in 2001, filling in as a host for Kathy Werzer. Right. And so we, we pulled up some old Ooh. recordings. Uh, we want to listen to a little bit yeah. of that. Well, this is Perry Finelli, and apparently we're having some problems with the Associated Press. Uh, I do have some more information here that we're getting on our wire services. Uh, again, uh, no immediate word on injuries or fatalities uh, in what they're calling twin disasters. There could have been now two planes that uh, hit the World Trade Center, one of the towers in New York City. This has not been confirmed. Uh, there are some uh, a gaping hole in the top of the building, and uh, there is smoke billowing from the top of that building. Uh, it appeared to have happened just before 9 a.m. Eastern time. The uh, second uh, plane, if there was a second plane, about 18 minutes later. And we do have Associated Press with some more information. Or... All right. Uh, we may be having an eyewitness here uh, joining us shortly to... Uh, to uh, give us some more information, uh, uh, Sean Murta, who is a CNN vice president, uh, is reporting. He, he saw the incident, apparently. He says the plane was coming in low. It looked like it hit at a slight angle. We were watching television reports this morning as well, and you can see that smoke is coming out of, of it's engulfing much of the top of the building as we speak. It looks like many, many floors are affected. Again, no word on any injuries or fatalities at this point, but of course we'll be following that. Uh, thousands more wire information here. Thousands of pieces of what appeared to be office paper came drifting over Brooklyn, about three miles from the tower, according to uh, one witness. So again, we are monitoring this morning, and I'm, I'm told we may have some... Okay, we have uh, some... I'm sorry. Hello? Melissa Creighton, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. You're uh, you're in New York City this morning. Yeah, that's uh, NPR newscaster uh, Perry Finelli. September 11, 2001. You're in working, filling in uh, on, on Morning Edition as a host. Uh, 
We often- Melissa Creighton was the daughter of an employee here. She oh. was living in New York City. And as you can hear there, we, we knew very little, but she was an eyewitness, and we went on mm-hmm. to talk to her. She was somewhere in New York, not far from there, mm-hmm. and sort of gave us a little bit of a feel. She didn't know much, but it, it gave a little more feel. But you're just struck by how little you knew. I remember when we first saw the TV footage, someone said, is, the, is, the, is, is that restaurant on fire? We just right. we, we didn't know so what we little were about, seeing. about it. Yeah, right. so it really brings you back on how little we knew. Of course, now it's history and but it points to what uh, the work that you do uh, often, you know, you're thinking on your feet and like, what are the words to say to describe, you know, what what's going on? It's important, but you don't have all the information yet, but people are listening to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's tough. It's tough. You know, you've done it. I mean, you. I guess you have to do the best you can. Right. You rely on your instincts. I think we, I think we're questioners. And so we think, what would we ask? What should we ask? What do right. we want to know? Uh, I think are, I think just kind of like you said, your instincts kind of kick in, and and, and I think the audience too is they understand. understanding mm-hmm. yeah. and delivering bad news. Um, that's always hurtful for me. I mean, I've been on the air before on the radio and on TV, and I, I had to like we got to tell you something really bad. Yeah, being that messenger, how have you dealt with that in thirty seven years? <sighs> I'm I'm lucky in that I'm I think I'm able to mm-hmm. separate myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I get that question a lot, and especially all we've gone through in the last few years. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just, I think you've got to separate yourself and just say, "I got a job to do. Maybe I'll, I'll think about this more later." Mm-hmm. But at the time, I think you have to think about, "Got to do right. my job." Because again, I'm envisioning someone living their life, driving their car, or you know, maybe working from home or going for a walk, and then here I come in, and I got to, I have to ruin your day. <laughs> Right, but we. Th- this is part of why we stepped into journalism, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, like I said, look, questions. You want you want to know about things. Um, I'm a news junkie, so just mm-hmm. I, I want to know what's happening. I, I I don't know. I think it's just something who you are. Let's talk about uh, your voice. I like your voice. Well, I like all the newscasters' you. voices. But uh, did that just come naturally? Did you sound like this at 16? Yep. Is this something you worked on? or nope. How did nope. you get to this voice? I once again have <laughs> to credit my dad, who I thought had a much better voice than me. He was a natural. Um, so I think I just uh, – it was it's just a natural thing. I, I There was some voice work in, in at St. Cloud State learning some, you know, mm-hmm. uh, patterns. Bre- breathing and, techniques. Breathing and, techniques. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, I've had people ask you. You know, do you take vo- voice lessons? Have you? How do you warm up for that kind of thing? A singer might. And <laughs> do you? I don't. I don't. Do you? Nah. <laughs> yeah. I just got to sing in the car coming in. I, well, I that's guess. good. That that's more than I do. But and one more question: Has anyone ever recognized you? Like, recognize your voice when you've been out? Like, can I get you know two cheeseburgers? Like, <laughs> is that the dude that does that? Has that ever happened to you? Or someone's it, like, do you? Recognize? That didn't happen. But. <laughs> Uh, my wife and I were at a campground. We were walking along the little frontage road with all the all the tent sites, and we were just talking. And there was a a guy came walking out from his tent, and he just he just he sat and looked at me. He just goes, <laughs> "I just i i know that i know that voice." So sometimes I'll, I I've had similar situations situations like mm-hmm. that. So I'll sort of bait him with MP. Perry Finelli. He yeah, immediately knew who I was. That's great. We sat and talked for so that was kind of stunning. The campground, yeah. but, you know. Anytime you go, you go to any a lot of social events or something. I don't know if it's just they'll hear the voice, but you know they make the connection. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, but that was 
quite a stunner. <laughs> well, you're a big part of the history and legacy of NPR you, News, and I'm, I'm happy that I get the chance to work with you, that we've oh. overlapped. Uh, newscaster Perry Finelli, who has been here for 37 years at <laughs> <in> NPR. <laughs> I'll try to get myself out. Okay. <laughs> here in great health. Thank you for your time, Perry. It is our winter member drive here at NPR, and we are down to the final two days. The member drive ends tomorrow night, so your support is needed right now. I have newscaster John Wanamaker with me today. Hello, Angela. 1-800-227-2811. Support your community when you donate. Do it today as the winter member drive comes to a close. It ends tomorrow night. And want to make sure you know that tomorrow at 9, I'm going to introduce you to some of our new reporters and producers. You'll hear their personal stories. Today's conversation was produced by Maya Backstrom. I'll talk to you tomorrow morning at 9. Thanks for listening to a recording of my live radio show on NPR News. A reminder that if you want to catch my show in real time, tune in and call in weekdays at 9 a.m.